ready. Shalom and welcome, everybody. Welcome to this week's episode of Responding to the Anti-Missionaries. Now, I am, first of all, going to tell you a little story. There was a time where I myself was an actual anti-missionary. Okay? And this talking point that was given to me at that time was the reason that caused me to become an anti-missionary. Now, I've also spoken at length in the past. What brought me to Yeshua was reading the rabbinic texts, understanding the Bible better, understanding first century and pre-first century Hashkafa. This is what brought me back to Yeshua. The anti-missionaries prey upon those who are looking for authentic Jewish expression. But they prey upon those who don't know much about the Bible itself, the oral tradition, nor that of the worldview of the authors of the Bible. Upon learning these things, as well as language and textural chronology, there I became not only an advocate for the messiahship of Yeshua, but I believed it more so than I ever had in the past. The anti-missionaries will prey upon a person not knowing anything about rabbinics. This is always the thing that helps them greatly, especially if you're seeing the Bible from a 21st century mindset. This is why it is that I personally believe when I look at the history of Kairitism, I say, when the Bible says in Sefer HaGatlut, those who say they are Jews but are not, did you know that in Israel, Kairites are counted as the way they should be? They're not counted as Jews in the census. They are Palestinians. And notice that the anti-missionaries take a Kairite approach whenever it comes to trying to get you to deny the Messiah of Israel. They prey upon your ignorance in this case. And so what they will say is show me anywhere in the scripture where it says that I have to accept a Messiah or where it even mentions a Messiah. And of course, a person's going to go into 
maybe they're going to use a PDF, say, okay, Messiah, Savior, Christ. We're, we're, I'm not seeing this in anywhere but the New Testament. We're going to start with this. By first, going to the Rambam, the Rambam's 13 principles of the Jewish faith. We got this in two slides here. These are the 13 principles of faith by the Rambam. The first is the belief in the existence of a creator who is perfect in every manner of existence and is the primary cause of all that exists. The second is the belief in God's absolute and unparalleled unity. It's very interesting they use that word unity as opposed to something to kind of go with that idea of being yachid, you know. Unity brings on echad, which is a, a, a unified one, which is really interesting that they use the term unity, that that's what the Rambam uses. The third is the belief in God's non-corporal reality nor that he will be affected by any physical occurrences such as movement or rest or dwelling. The fourth is the belief in God's, um, in, in God's eternity. Okay? The next one, number five of the 13 principles, is the, the imperative to worship God exclusively, and no foreign gods. So far, we're good, right? The sixth principle, the belief that God communicates with man through prophecy. Doesn't matter if you are a Christian. Doesn't matter if you're a Messianic Jew. Doesn't matter if you're an Ani Jew. Doesn't matter if you're Orthodox or Hasidic or Reformed. Yeah, all these things. No, no issue. Let's go to the next ones. <coughs> the seventh is a belief in the in the primacy of prophecy of Mo Moses, our teacher. Absolutely. Nobody disagrees with that. The belief in the divine origin of the Torah. Absolutely. The belief in the and the immobility of or, or immutability of the of the Torah. Absolutely. The belief in God's omnipotence and providence. Absolutely. The belief in divine reward and retribution. Yep. The belief in the arrival of the Messiah and the messianic era. Wow. Let me read that again. The belief in the arrival of the Messiah and the messianic era. Thir this is the 13 principles of the Rambam, by the way. The final one is the belief in the resurrection of the dead. Now, within the Talmud in Sanhedrin 90, it says the people who reject the premise of resurrection of the dead will have no share in the Elom Haba, no share in the world to come, no share in the kingdom of heaven, no share in the messianic era. There is nothing for you. You are simply rejected. And this is all the way down to number 13. 
So it shows the importance of all the ones up before it, most notably number 12. The thing is that people could go and say that Jews and Christians are so totally different, but we're really not. Because I think even every single Christian I know of will say, yeah, those are the principles of our faith as well. Absolutely. Okay. So we're going to go to the scripture here now. And this is why textual chronology is so important. I know I've talked about this in terms of the Targums many times. I always say you want the ultimate and most accurate amplified Bible that you have ever owned or ever will own. Get yourself a copy of the Targums. A quick history on the Targums. What are the Targums? The Targums are an Aramaic translation of the Hebrew text that predates the Masoretic, the Aleppo, the Leningrad, and all of the other major uh, base texts of the Tanakh or the Old Testament. What the Targums did is they translated them into Aramaic. Why did they translate them into Aramaic? Why is that? Because of the fact that during the time of the Medo-Persian Empire, all the way until the 20th century, the Jewish people in the land mainly spoke Aramaic, not Hebrew. It being a Semitic language, the rules of grammar and many of the words are very similar in that of Aramaic compared to that of Hebrew. And that was what was being spoken in the time of the exile during the Medo-Persian Empire. And so Hebrew was put aside for the religious cognoscenti and the highly educated. It was only them who knew Hebrew. The common people spoke Aramaic and later on Greek. A little bit of a mixture of both is what we had seen happen during the first century, during the days of Yeshua. And so when the Targums were put out, they ended up putting the commentary that was known all throughout Judaism into the translation so that there was no way that Hashkafa could be an issue. How it is that worldview changes in such a small period of time, they made sure that the Bible, you always understood what it was saying and what was meant during the time in which it was written. And so they relied upon that of the rabbinic texts. They relied upon that of Chazel. They relied upon these very things. Now, what I have here with me right here is from Art Scroll. Art Scroll is an Orthodox Jewish publisher. These people do not believe that Messiah Yeshua is the Messiah. Okay? What I'm getting ready to show you is take a directly out of here and the Genesis uh, copy of Ankelos, the Targums. Okay? 
A lot of great footnotes in here, too. We'll take a look at those. But this, I took a picture, and it has the Masoretic text and a translation of it right beside that of the Aramaic Targums. And we're going to understand why it says what it says here. We see within that where it says Chomish translation, we're going to look at verse 10. The rod shall not depart from Yehuda or Judah, nor any lawgiver from between his feet until Shiloh arrives. Okay? Let's go to verse 10 over here on the other side where it says, Ankelos, elucidated. It says, this is the translation for the Targums. It says, one who exercises dominion shall not depart from the true house or from the house of Yehuda or Judah nor a Torah scholar from among his descendants forever until Mashiach to whom kingship belongs shall arrive. Okay. It's in my Bible. <laughs> the concept of Mashiach is indeed in my Bible as Talked about by Ankelos in his translation. We have a footnote of that as well, by the way. This is the translation of Ankelos interprets um, his, uh, uh, thus the understands the phrase mean until the arrival, the one to whom it, uh, let's see, belongs. This refers to Mashiach, whose kingship will be absolute. The verse is saying that dominion will never be removed from Yehuda, even during the period prior to the arrival of Mashiach, to whom kingship will truly belong. And it goes without saying that it will not be removed from Yehuda until after the arrival of Mashiach. Okay. I had to squint a little bit. I was having a hard time seeing that when I... Take these pictures of these things. It's so very small. Uh, I have another text as well from Art Scroll. Same guys that put this together. I don't have it with me right here, so I can't show you. But this is the Art Scroll Sador, or the Moxor, if you will, for the holy times of Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur. These are all the prayers that it is that we recite either in Hippot Adult or, you know, during Shachras and Minka and all that stuff. And we say these prayers as well in the synagogue. Okay. And this is from the art scroll one. Let me screw it up here so I can see this. May it be your will that the Tekiyah, Shevarim, ter, uh, Teruah, Tikiyah blasts that we sound uh, be em uh, embroidered into the heavenly curtain by the appointed angel. And there's an angel here that his name is not to be said. It is like that of the divine name. So there's a footnote earlier on that says, just scan that with your eyes. Just as you accepted prayers through Elijah, who is remembered for the good, Yeshua, the Kohen Gadol, minister of the inner chamber, and the ministering angel, and this is a different angel here, that kind of has a name that sounds like a, um, a transformer. And may you be filled with the mercy upon us. Blessed are you, master of mercies. 
Yeshua the Kohen Gadol, who is paralleled to that of this mystical entity that is talked about within that of the Zohar. It is talked about in other extra biblical books and that parallels that of the Messiah. And it's interesting because, well, you say, well, you know, we can easily say that that's not, you know, the same. Yeshua, because it says an angel. Yeshua is so much more than an angel. Hold on. Hold on. The word for angel is the word malek. Okay. The word for messenger is also malek. The Mashiach, Yeshua, is indeed a messenger. This is why the Kairites don't believe in angels. We see the word malek all throughout the Hebrew text. But however, not every single time that Malek is there does it mean a heavenly angel. Sometimes it means an earthly messenger. Okay? And so the thing we have to understand here is that this is how it is that the Kairites and anti-missionaries take away a vast majority of the spiritual of the scripture by saying, oh, there, there's no such thing of it, thing as angels. But however, this concept of angel is of angels is something we see all throughout the Talmud. We see it all throughout. Well, even in this Sador here, we see it in all of the rabbinic texts. We see it in the Zohar. We see it everywhere. This concept cannot be denied. We see that the Apostle Paul says, and I believe it's chapter 22 or 24 of Acts. He says, I believe in resurrection of the dead. I believe in angels. I believe in an afterlife. These were all Pharisaic ideas that the Sadducees and later the Kairites absolutely reject. And the anti-missionaries get you to reject all of these premises as well by taking a hyper literalist view. But these are things that are within Art Scrolls publications of Onkelos and their Moxor for Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur. Okay? But we have more in terms of this. Okay, so you showed one time where the concept of Messiah is in a translation of the Hebrew to Aramaic that some Jew named Onkelos had put together. That's it? That's all you got? No, 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 no. The thing that we have to understand is that within that of Jewish thought, you always have to look at the rabbinics every single time to understand halakha, to understand the worldview, the hashkafa of the time of the first century and pre-first century during the times of the biblical times, you have to look at these texts to properly understand it, considering that we are so far removed by 2,000 years on the other side of the earth from these premises. So do the rabbinic texts say anything about a Messiah, about accepting a Messiah. Oh, very much so. The Messiah will only come when every government becomes heretical, Rabbah said. Where do we see an allusion to this in scripture? From the verse, he turned completely white. He was ritually pure. This was within our Torah portion this week, by the way. 
just as when the affliction has spread through the entire skin, the person is ritually pure. So too, when all governments have become heretical, the redemption will come. Okay, but wait a minute here. The governments are still highly heretical. This is still a problem. Shouldn't this be something that is fixed by the Messiah? Oh, that's something we're going to get to here. We're definitely going to get and going to get to that. But I want to focus in on this coming of Messiah. Did you know that Judaism in the Talmud talks about two comings of the Messiah? Oh, absolutely. We're going to stay with the what we know and we see in terms of this as the second coming, which is known in rabbinic Judaism as Mashiach ben David, Messiah, the son of David, that has the attributes of David. There's also Mashiach ben Yosef. And they're both talked about at a point in the Talmud that we're going to bring up here in just a little bit. But one is the conquering king Messiah. The other is the suffering servant Messiah. And we always know which one is which based upon the verses that are given as well as the attributes of said Messiah through, through this. And so we are going to stick right now with the King Messiah. Okay. The second coming. These are things that parallel the book of Revelation and give us a better understanding of it to the nth degree. So we're going to go to the Rambam again. We looked at his 13 principles of faith. Now we're going to go and look at uh, one of his texts known as Telechot Melachim. Okay. And he says within there, in the days of the King Messiah, when his kingdom is established and all of Israel are gathered into it, the ancestry of each one of them is confirmed by Messiah through the Holy Spirit which will rest upon him. As it is written, he will sit as a smelter and purifier of silver, and he will purify the sons of Levi and refine them like gold and silver. And he will first purify the children of Levi and say, this one has priestly ancestry and this one has Levitical ancestry. And he will disqualify for priesthood any who are not descended from Israel, as it is written, the government said to them that they should not eat from the most holy things until a priest stood up with Urim and Thummim, as we see in Ezra chapter 2, verse 63. From this you can learn that those presumed to be of a certain lineage will be confirmed, and those established lineages will be announced by the Holy Spirit. And he will not merely establish ancestry from Israel, but each tribe. He will announce that um, this one is from such and such a tribe, and this one from such and such a tribe. Okay, so save you some money on going and getting your genealogical tests done, because they're not going to mean a hill of beans until the days of the King Messiah, according to that of Rashi. But let's go back to Tractate Sanhedrin. Tractate Sanhedrin, we're going to be looking at um, Sanhedrin 90, uh, 98A, and we're going to get 
many parts of Sanhedrin 98a, which is a huge chapter in terms of the Messiah. He says, Rabbi Alexandri said, says Rabbi Yehoshua ben Levi raises a contradiction between the two depictions of the coming Messiah. Two depictions? It is written, there came with the clouds of heaven and one like the son of a man. And there was given him dominion and glory and a kingdom. His dominion is an everlasting dominion, as we see in Daniel chapter 7, verse 13 through 14. They're saying those verses are about the Messiah. And it is written, behold, your king will come to you and is just and victorious, lowly, riding upon a donkey and a colt, the fowl of a donkey, as we see in Zechariah 9.9. We saw that Yeshua in his first coming did this very thing. Rabbi Alexandria explains, if the Jewish people merit redemption, the Messiah will come in a miraculous manner in the clouds of heaven. If they do not merit redemption, the Messiah will come lowly and riding upon a donkey. One of the things that we will end up seeing again is those two comings of the Messiah. Okay. Now it's interesting because the thing is that when you bring up these passages, say that you run across them, the anti-missionaries say, hey, hey, you, you dummy, keep reading. It says that it's talking about Hezekiah. It's talking about Hezekiah there. You read a couple lines. Oh, okay. That's the, that's the idea that it was Hezekiah for that fulfilled this. This is what it says a couple lines down. But keep on reading a little bit more. Keep on reading a little bit more, and you will get to Sanhedrin 99a. Rabbi Hillel said, there shall be no Messiah for Israel because they have already enjoyed him in the days of Hezekiah. Okay, checkmate, right? Oh, well, hold on. Let's read a little bit more. Rabbi Joseph said, may God forgive him. Forgive who? Hillel for saying so. Now, when did Hezekiah flourish? During the first temple. Yet Zechariah prophesying in the days of the second, proclaiming, rejoice gratefully, O daughter of Zion. Shout, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, thy king cometh unto thee. He is just and having salvation, lowly, riding upon an ass and upon the colt of the fowl of an ass. Zechariah 9 9. They say, Whoa, slow your roll. It's not Zechariah or it's not Hezekiah. It doesn't align. They don't want you to read that far. The anti-missionaries do not want you to read that far into the text. Whoa, 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 stop, 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 stop. After it says Hezekiah, see, you understand now it's Hezekiah. Hold on, I'm still reading here. No, 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 just trust us. Just trust us. This is why it is that we actually have to look at these things for ourselves, guys. Don't take my word for it. Go and search these things out. You can find the Talmud in many places. You can buy find free, free PDFs of all 23, 24 books like I have on my shelf over here. You can get those things in free PDF. It is not hard for you to look these things up for yourself. When Tovia Singer made his uh, let's get biblical series. Not everybody had access to these things. 
So many of the things that we bring up here, people didn't know about unless they plopped down two, $3,000 for a set of Talmud. Many of them not even realizing what it was. So, now we're going to get into some very interesting passages because we're going to be getting into Tractate Sukkah within that of the Talmud. Oh, wait a minute. Not yet. We got, we got a couple others first from Sanhedrin 98b. We're going to get into that one. Okay, so within there, it says the Messiah, the Gemara says, what is his name? The school of Rabbi Shilah says Shiloh is the name that is stated for until Shiloh comes. That verse that we had read earlier. This is where it is that Ankelo said, okay, well, let's talk about the Messiah here. It is from this passage in the Talmud. The school of Rabbi Yanai says Yanon is his name. As it is stated, may his name in, in, endure forever. May his name continue Yanon as long as the sun. And may men bless themselves by him. Psalms chapter 72, verse 17. The school, school of Rabbi Hania says Hania is his name. Well, that's kind of an egotistical statement, isn't it? But maybe not. Let's see. Um, as it is stated, for I will show you no favor, Hina, as it says in Jeremiah 16, 13. And some say, Menachem ben, uh, ben um, Hizkiah is his name. I'm having a hard time seeing my screen. It's so small on here. Um, as it is stated, because the comforter, Menachem, that should uh, re, uh, re, rely... Revive my soul is far from me, as it says in Lamentations 116. And the rabbis say, the leper of the house of Rabbi Yehuda Hanasi is his name. As it is stated, indeed our illness he did bear, and our pains he endured, and yet we did not esteem him injured, stricken by God, and afflicted. Isaiah 53.4. Okay. So, you know, the thing to, to realize here is that through all of this, they're showing us where the Messiah appears in these passages in the Bible. Oh, the Messiah, you're, gonna, no, you're not going to find him in the Bible. What, the, what are you talking about? You're not going to find that anywhere in the Tanakh. Oh, so I guess these guys weren't Jews. They knew nothing about the Bible. 2,000 years ago, living in the land where Yeshua walked, all that stuff. They, being a part of the Sanhedrin, they knew nothing about it. But yet, people today, you know, going and interpreting things through a 21st century mindset, through a computer screen, halfway in the other side of the world, you, you understand more. Okay, I got you. Let's see here. We're going to keep continue on in Sanhedrin 99a. It says, Rabbi Hillel said, there shall be no Messiah for Israel because they have already enjoyed him. And oh, we've already read that one. Never mind. Never mind. So now we're going to go to Sukkah 52a within that of the Talmud. 
And let's see here. It says, the Gemara asks, granted, according to the one who said that the lament for Messiah ben Yosef, Messiah ben Yosef, we just discussed that earlier, the suffering servant Messiah, who was killed, this would be the meaning of which it is in that context that they should look unto me because they have thrust him through and they shall mourn for him as one mourns for his only son, as we see in Zechariah 12.10. Once the Messiah ben David, ooh, another Messiah here, the conquering king Messiah, saw Messiah ben Yosef, who was killed, he says to the Holy One, blessed be he, master of the universe, I ask for you only life and that I will not suffer the same fate. The Holy One, blessed be he, said to him, life? Even before you stated this request, your father David already prophesied about you in regards to this matter uh, precisely as it stated, he asks life of you. You give it to him, even length of your days forever and ever. Psalm 21, verse 5. Very interesting. Very interesting. So we see the two comings of Messiah right there, but we also see it in another spot within Sukkah 52a, where it says, it must be granted him that, sa that says Messiah, the son of Joseph, shall be slain as it is written, and they shall look upon whom they have pierced. Okay? That's... Go plays into the episode that we did on Isaiah 53. We can go ahead and chalk that one up in there as well, because that is a quotation from Isaiah 53. But then we have the concept of Shevi'im Panim Latara or the Medrash Rabbah. We're going to go to Genesis Rabbah. All the way at the beginning, the Messiah was right there. At the start of the Torah, the spirit which hovers over the waters in Genesis 1-2 is none other than the Messiah. And this plays in to, okay, well, I believe in Messiah, but not the D Davidic aspect. Not, not him being divine or anything. Well, how the heck was he alive during the time of, of Aharon? That he was hovering above the waters, for goodness sake. He's not divine. There are aspects of your own soul, as a matter of fact, if we wanted to get into that whole thing. The neshama, for instance, that part of the soul is divine. Chaya is divine. The nefesh, not so much. The akita, not so much. But uh, there are aspects of your soul that are eternal and divine. To say that there is no divinity whatsoever in the Messiah, in the concept of Messiah, shows that you don't know zilch about Judaism. And that is what it is that the anti-missionaries rely upon. So now we're going to go to the mystical levels of Judaism. We are going to go to the Zohar. We're going to go to the level of Kabbalah here. This is what is said within that of the Zohar. In Zohar 2, 2.12a, it says, In the Garden of Eden, there was a hall called the Hall of the Afflicted. Now it is called 
into this hall that the Messiah goes and summons the afflictions and pains and the suffering of Israel to come to him and that he had not eased the children of Israel of their sorrow and had taken burden upon himself, there would be none that could endure the suffering of Israel in penalty of neglecting the Torah. Thus it is written, surely our disease he did bear and our pains he carried. Again, Isaiah 53, 5. As long as the children of Israel dwelt in the Holy Land, they averted their afflictions and suffering from the world in the service of the sanctuary and by sacrifice. But now it is the Messiah who is averting them from the habitats of the world. You want to know something about Aish? Aish, some parts of Aish reject the Zohar. You want to know why they reject it? Because they seem to believe that um, Shimon Bar Yochai was secretly a believer in the Messiah. And this could very well be a possibility, especially when we look at his writings within that of the Zohar, where he would talk about the concepts of Zimsum that Paul, the apostle, talked about himself in that of Philippians chapter two. We see that this is a great possibility. In fact, they will go so far to say that it was a guy by the name of, uh, what was it, Yehuda ben, ben Moses or something like that in the, in the uh, 16th century that actually wrote it. There's no evidence to support that claim that the people at Aish propagate in terms of this. We're going to go to other rabbinic texts. You've been, been talking Talmud and, and Rambam. What else you got? Oh, Speshkita, Isaiah 53, verse 5. The Holy One brought forth the soul and the Messiah and said to him, Art thou willing to redeem my sons? He replied, I am. God replied, if so, thou must take upon thyself chastisements in order to wipe away their iniquity. As it is written, surely our sickness we hath carried. The Messiah answered, I will take them upon me gladly. We also got Ruth Rabbah as well. Come near that you may eat of the bread and dip of the piece of bread in vinegar. Ruth chapter 2, verse 14. Come near means to come near to the kingdom. Eat the bread refers to the bread of Messiah's royalty. Dip your bread in vinegar refers to Messiah's suffering. As it is said in Isaiah chapter 3, chapter th uh, 53, verse 5, he was pierced for our transgressions. This is something that is a part of the Pesach Seder. Many of you had your... Pesach Seder just a couple of weeks ago. And maybe this is something that you have brought up within there. Now, here's the kicker. The timing of the coming of the Messiah. The timing. Did you know that in the Talmud, they knew when the Messiah would show up. And they essentially hit the nail on the head, did some amazing calculations. The anti-missionaries aren't this smart. 
they're not. Let's go to that of Sanhedrin 97A through 97B. The world will exist for 6,000 years. 2,000 years of desolation, meaning from Adam to Adam, or from Adam to Avraham. 2,000 years of the Torah, meaning from Avraham to somewhere around the beginning of the common era. Oh, interesting. And 2,000 years of the Messianic era, roughly the last 2,000 years. But because our iniquities were many, all of this has been lost, i.e. the Messiah did not come at the expected time. The Messiah did come at the expected time. That was the time in which it is that Yeshua was born. As a matter of fact, I could prove this to you because look at in that time period, how many, how many people that the Jewish people thought could possibly be the Messiah? You know what? So much so that even Herod knew that the Messiah was itching to appear. So when he heard these things about this baby being born, he said, go and kill all the babies. Go and kill all the babies. This was taken very seriously, very well known during this time. And so it's interesting because they were expecting, because they were under the captivity of Rome, they were expecting Mashiach ben David, the conquering king Messiah, to come in on his, on his horse and go and slay the Roman armies, to take them out of captivity from the Romans. That's what they've been waiting on. They're like, every time we turn around, we're getting slaughtered. We're getting killed by whether it's them, whether it's the Persians, whether it's the, um, the, the Edomites, the Amorites, the Hittites, all of these people. We got all these people constantly coming after us. So, of course, Messiah Ben David has to come first. That's the way they saw it. They said, that is what we need first. Not Mashiach Ben Yosef. Mashiach ben David. But notice that when we looked at Sukkah 52a, it says that Mashiach ben David is going to slaughter those who slaughtered Messiah ben Yosef. That's, that's very key in terms of that. So Mashiach ben, ben Yosef had to come first. But they were saying, oh gosh, everything is hell on earth right now. Mashiach ben David has to come. So. It's interesting because, you know, when Yeshua was with Pilate, he says, who do you want me to release? You want me to release this Yeshua HaNotsri cat? Or do you want me to release Barabbas? They said, give us Barabbas. Release him. We say to ourselves, okay, this is just a some bad dude. I don't know why they wanted to. Oh, but wait a minute here. When we look at the Aramaic. We see that Barabbas in Aramaic is Bar Abba, meaning son of the father. And at this time, the idea of a divine Messiah was still intact within that of Judaism before it was later rejected in the past hundred years. This concept was still intact, and it's intact in all of our rabbinic writings. So Bar Abba means son of the father. 
Who is the father? Hashem. The father is Hashem. And this guy, Barabbah, is written about in a slew of rabbinic texts. He was a religious zealot. He was a guy that was talking about building the armies to overthrow Rome. This is why he was arrested. They said, this guy could be a Messiah figure, especially considering his name was Bar Abba. This guy could be the Messiah. They said, give us Bar Abba. These rabbinic texts say that he initially started, tried to build up an army, and then he drank himself to death. That's what happened with Barabbas. And then, not too much after that, we have the Bar Kokhba revolt. Rabbi Akiva in the Talmud thought that Bar Kokhba was the Messiah. He was just like Barabbas, but however, this guy actually had an army. This guy had an army, and they were an army to be contended with. They were rough and tough. Rabbi Akiva later goes and says, I was wrong on that. Bar Kokhba was not the Messiah. But he was rallied around and proclaimed by many that he was Messiah ben David because he was going to save the Jewish people from Rome. Notice that ultimately did not happen. Messiah after Messiah after Messiah, candidate, were popping up during this time. But the only one that has fulfilled every single one of the prophecies of Mashiach ben Yosef was Yeshua HaNotri. And he will fulfill every single one of them of Mashiach ben David. So, when you have an anti-missionary tell you, show me in the Bible, in the Tanakh, where it says that I need to accept a Messiah and say that they say that is not a Torah concept. That is not a Torah principle. That is not something that is within Judaism. You say, Oh no. Oh no. The Rambam said it. The rabbis of the Medrash Rabbah did. The rabbis of the Talmud did. Shimon Bar Yochai did. Ankelos did. And this is not all that we have either. I've given you guys 17 different citations and slides from Orthodox Jewish manuscripts, none from any sort of Christian manuscript. And the thing is, I could have added hundreds and hundreds more. The concept of a Messiah is something that is deeply ingrained within Judaism. And the anti-missionaries will say that this concept of a Messiah is not within Judaism. It is not within our Bibles. And the fact is, you could say now, you know what? You're not being honest with me. Because I could show you tons of places. I can even show you in the Bible, in the Targums. Do you reject the Targums? No Jews are going to say they reject the Targums. Of course they don't reject the Targums.
I can show you where Onkelo said it. This concept of Mashiach is goes all the way back to the ties of Bediashis of Genesis. You only have to know where to look and how to look and the worldview in which to see it. Don't read your Bibles like a novel. Your Bible is divine. It was divinely inspired by that of the Holy Spirit. With the hands of each and every single one of its scribes being led, when letters were big or too small or broken or inverted, these things, every small detail, was guided by Ruach HaKodesh, guided by the Holy Spirit. I want to thank all of you for joining me here today. Next week, we will do uh, part four of our Responding to the Anti-Missionary series. We're going to focus in on the verse of Kiss the Sun. We're going to focus in on that. And also another Torah portion teaching next week as well. Thank you all so much for joining me here today. And I want to wish you all shalom bracha, peace and a blessing. Shalom.